This time loop thing. How did you get out of it? Oh, I simply boosted the circuits and broke free. And you came back of your own accord? Well, I... Doctor? No. No, I'm afraid not. Now, obviously, the Time Lords have programmed the TARDIS always to return to Earth. It seems that I'm some kind of a galactic yo-yo. to Galactic Yo-Yo, the podcast where Doctor Who fans share their unpopular opinions with the world. And I had to deal with them. I'm your host, Molly Marsh. I've just been to the little shop to get a Diet Coke and a little block of Red Leicester uh, to make a sandwich, because I have a bit of Red Leicester, but not quite enough for the two sandwiches that I that I wanted to make. So I bought a little bit more um, so that I could make two sandwiches rather than just one. Uh, now I can always use the rest of the Red Leicester tomorrow, can't I? Um, I'm sure I'll find a use for it. Um, anyway, um, this week on the podcast, I interviewed Josh Snares, uh, a YouTuber, documentarian, um, who makes videos about missing episodes, about Doctor Who oddities, um, and also little comedy memes and sketches as well. Uh, so I talked to Josh about all of that, um, as well as diving into a, one of his unpopular opinions about where fan, uh, fan filmmakers sometimes go wrong and where he thinks that fan creators um, could improve in terms of their uh, original Doctor Who films. Hope it doesn't touch a sore uh, nerve for anybody. Um, but, yeah, I think it's all good advice and it's interesting to talk about media in general and how it's made and how amateur filmmakers and amateur creators um, can make their films better uh, under a small budget. So that was a really interesting conversation. Um, Anyway, yes, apologies again for the delay with this week's episode. Um, It's just I went on holiday and I sort of didn't want to have to worry about the podcast too much. um, So I thought I would be lazy. Um, But it should be back to business as usual now. Um... So yeah, you should expect another episode in a fortnight's time. But I don't know who that's going to be with. Um, but without further ado, please do enjoy this week's conversation with Josh Snares. Cool. Um, so, uh, oh yeah, and your surname is Snares, I assume is how I pronounce it. Yep, Snares, yeah, great, you got it right. Great, great. <laughs> Cool. I just always check because sometimes people, I, you know, I'm like, oh, it's snares, and they're like, no, it's snares or something. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, totally. I, that's not my biggest like feedback or criticism is like you keep getting the names wrong. So I get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I suppose though, if if it's names you've read like only only seen written down, like it's not always that easy yeah. to uh, to get them right. But um, yeah, uh, I'm here with Josh Snares. Then, uh, how are you, Josh? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Now, since I'm calling Australia, I'll I'll do the usual. What time is it over there? Uh, chat. <laughs> uh, so it's it's ten forty one over here. What time is it over there? It is seven eleven over in Australia. In the evening. <laughs> in the evening. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I've had uh, what what I feel like one. No, I've had two Australian guests before, but the one I've called more most often is is Johnny Spandrel, and he he likes me to he has children, so he likes me to call him after the kids have gone to bed. So I tend to call him uh, at about sort of 12 p.m. And then oh, yeah, he'll yeah. Uh, that'll be sort of midnight for him. Uh, and he'll he'll call me usually on his terrace with a glass of wine, um, <laughs> which is just really bizarre to me. But there are lots of time zones in Australia, right? It's not just the one time zone. Yeah, yeah. like from because I'm in South Australia and like in Western Australia, it's like an hour and a half difference. It's so weird. Like, it doesn't feel that far away, but it really is. Uh, anyway, 
Uh, enough of the Australia chat because it's probably very boring. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you're a YouTuber who's uh, well, I've been making videos for quite a while. I know it's on a channel, but I've sort of come across your stuff more recently. Uh, do you want to sort of give yeah. a rundown of the kind of stuff you make and what it's all about? Yeah, so I've been on YouTube for like forever, but it's only really this year that I've kind of made a go at it. Like mm -hmm. um, I used to do like these terrible Doctor Who fan films when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. But um, I've started working for a marketing company and um, I kind of just picked up a few like tips and tricks on what to do. So like I kind of realized what the target audience kind of wanted and I wanted to talk about something that I was really passionate about. Sure. So I decided to approach like my hobby as a business in a certain type of way. So like my missing episodes documentary, like that was, I knew where to find the people. Cause like missing episodes, like when like 2013, when like Web of Fear and Enemy of the World came back, there were like these massive Facebook groups that got made. So I started to promote my stuff through there and it was just an easy audience. So yeah. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Cause like, um, that missing episode documentary is amazing. I I watched it this week actually, it, all of it, and uh, <laughs> oh, I didn't I didn't realize that it was uh, that you'd uploaded the omnibus version. So I just watched it part by part, um, which I is probably like better for you because that probably gives you like uh, more advert advert revenue, right? Uh yeah, I think the longer <laughs> one has been, but I think the best way to watch it is episode by episode. But that's just because I'm an elitist. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. the original format, you know. But it's really what people prefer to watch it. Yeah, so it's a sort of rundown of um of each missing episode, each story with missing episodes, and kind of what is left, like whether there's any eight millimeter footage, whether there's telesnaps, whether there's you know uh, novelization has been released and. And kind of a rundown of where, of where fans can can view this stuff, um, which is super interesting because I've never well, I, I I've watched I've watched the Marco Polo um, thirty minute reconstruction. I've seen that, um, but aside from that, I've I've always kind of stayed away from missing episodes, and it and it did make me think, oh, you know what? Maybe it's about time that I, I don't know, that I try and give some of these reconstructions a go. Well, the thing is, it is really hard to like get into reconstructions because it isn't like watching television. It's such a weird medium. Yeah. And it's something that took me a long time to get used to. And now I can sit down and watch a reconstruction. I don't even blink, but like it's, it's going from like the new series, then going to the classic series. And that pacing is so different. And then going to a reconstruction where the pacing is like painfully slow. It's really hard. So I understand why most people haven't really gone into it. And I think that's why people are interested in missing episodes because it's like brand new Doctor Who. Well, yeah, that's way. it, and that's sort of one of the excuses I've always given for not for not really listening to them or experiencing them is that oh well, if they discover them again, then it'll be brand new Doctor Who. So it, it, even mm. more so if I haven't listened to any of it, which I guess is valid in a way, but I think in a way it is an excuse for not watching them. Uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I remember being a kid and listening to Power of the Daleks, and we had the like the narrated version. Um, I think it was the Anakin Wills version we had. Um, oh yeah. Uh, and we listened. Me and my dad listened to it um, on a mini disc in his car, um, and we gave up about halfway through because there's so many characters in that story um, whose oh, yeah. voices sound so similar, and they're all they're all like called by their surname, and we were just like we just got fed up in the end because we could, we we'd <laughs> lost track of who the, all the different people were, um, and then obviously the animation came out like a couple of years ago, and that's like one of my favourite Trout and stories now. Um, mm. So, but maybe it's just about having some visual stimuli there. I don't know. Do you think that's important? I, yeah, I think so because like, that's why I'm such a big advocate for these animations because I think it is kind of the best way to experience them. Like a lot of people get upset because they're not always as accurate, but oh, at least you can shit follow about the that. story. I don't care about that. Like, <laughs> I, I'm always saying to people, they should cut some of the silence out. Like, especially oh, in that like, Power of the Daleks yeah. one, there's loads of scenes of like people standing around, and because they don't know what was happening on screen, they just sort of have the mm. the characters sort of wobbling around, and the and the the audio of like I don't know, like tables being dragged around or something, <laughs> and like they could just cut that out and it would, it would be pacier and it would make more sense to the viewer. Um, but fans would be up in arms. I mean, it, it only takes a look at what happened with rough and tumble and macro terror fans were up in arms about that. Um, well, it's, it's yeah. ridiculous because the invasion, which is one of the most well applauded animations, they made cuts to that audio. 
they cut a lot of it down. They cut a lot of those silences yeah. and it works so much better. And people don't even complain about that, but they'll complain about rough and tumble. It's ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, I think I think just like make the best product like you can make. Like I don't know. I felt like that about um Sharder a little bit as well. Like just mm. just just cut it down and make it make it the best thing you can make, I suppose. I don't know. Um but yeah, you don't just make videos about missing episodes, you make videos about other stuff. There's you have your Doctor Who Oddity series. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the the series that I never get around to doing. No, I <laughs> like, like them. Make more of them. Around. I like them. <laughs> yeah, I really should. People love them, but um yeah, it's just it's just finding something that really excites me because I feel if I'm not excited about it, it's just really boring. Yeah, yeah. And my boring voice kicks in. Like I used to do like top tens and stuff like that, and I hated doing them, so I've just stopped. And people Thing are like, is "When is top the third tens, Like one? everybody's done them, so like yeah, exactly. You have to re- you have to either like I-, I guess your only option now making a top ten, like say you're doing like top ten stories of a particular doctor, or whatever, is just like be really deliberately contrarian and off the wall. Like, yeah. which which is a bit disingenuous if that's not your genuine view. Um, yeah. Like, I watched one recently, and I, I, I won't say who it was from or, or what the stories were, but I was watching it and thinking, I know you've picked some of these stories to be different. Do you know what I mean? And, and yeah. these aren't necessarily your... I mean, they might have been their favourites, but it just had a flavour of, oh, well, there's one you could have picked, but you've gone for this one because there were too many videos about that other one, you know? Yeah, you don't want to like waffle on about the same yeah, video, exactly. like the same episode. Exactly. Have you got anything else in the pipeline for the Oddity series? Well, let's talk about some of the ones you've done already. So you've done Dimensions in Time, a video about Dimensions in Time. You've yeah. done a video about um, the Dark Dimension, which was the sort of predecessor to Dimensions in Time that never got made. Um, yeah. What else have you done? You did the, the video I games did. one. Is that in the Oddity Yeah, I did one about video games yeah. and one about music. So like um, Doctor in Distress and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, um I I've got like um like the Dark's Master Plan, the original concept. I've got like the original like draft script. So they have oh, so cool. I was gonna do a side by side. So I was gonna do know, something like that. You you could do a um you could do one on the stage shows actually. Yes, get, I, I really mean, should it, it might be hard to get might... hold of like information about them, but I'm sure like there are scripts knocking about somewhere and there's photographs and stuff. Like, that would be a really interesting one to do. And there's a few of them, so it's not as if you've got a you know, you've got a few that you could put into one video, I guess. No, I really should. I've had a few people ask for the stage shows, but uh-huh. like, I don't know enough about them yet, but I'm going to do some more research. It's, yeah. on, the, it's on the list. It's a re- <laughs> The stage shows are a really weird thing because there's so many of them and it's like such an, a natural uh, medium for Doctor Who in a way, like a stage show. Yeah. Just doesn't really, um, doesn't really match. I went to see a, um, a Doctor Who stage show about 15 years ago. And it was just after Doctor Who had come back. And there was a weird there was a weird era, I feel, that people don't talk about. Just after Doctor Who came back, where there was sort of a Wilderness Years hangover. And there was still some kind of bits of Wilderness Years stuff happening. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was still eight yeah. Doctor Adventures being released as books. There was still, like, a missing Doctor Adventures. Um, past Doctor Adventures, rather. Uh, oh, which one is that? It's Past Doctor Adventures. Yeah. And then um, there was, like, still, like, little bits of merchandise that... that had a wilderness years look and i feel like this stage show was kind of hangover from from that in a way it was very like culty and um which one was that do you remember what it was called oh, i don't it was some it was called like davros like davros. oh it was it was it the trial of davros the trial of davros that's what it was yeah and it and it starred um the fella who plays boba fett in star wars oh cool um, <laughs> he, he was in it um and i think terry malloy was in it as davros um, but there weren't any doctors in it or anything. But the thing I most remember about it is that I had I'm I've got type one diabetes, and um, they I went with my friend's parents and they bought me a bag of of sugar free sweets uh, to eat during oh, the yeah. show because they didn't want me to get left out. And the thing is with uh, with sugar free sweets, a lot of the sweeteners they use to replace the sugar um, have a high laxative effect. So I just remember that evening going home and like spending hours and hours in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! That's like my my takeaway from the trial of Davros. But, what a um, glowing review! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, how did you get into making uh, the YouTube videos uh, originally? I guess. How did that happen? As in my fan films or my recent stuff? 
Let's do both. Yeah, fan films first of all. <laughs> nice both. Or should we well, sa- like should we that. save that for the unpopular opinions, Jack? Because I suppose it's relevant in a way, isn't it? Yeah, we'll we'll leave, we'll leave it for that. Okay, let's <laughs> let's save that. Uh, so yeah, what made you make these more sort of factual documentarian videos? Well, like I, I noticed there was a lot of other YouTube channels doing this, like informative videos on other topics, and I thought I haven't really seen a Doctor Who channel do one really well. And you know that sounds really like egotistical, saying I do it do it better or anything. I didn't no, mean I think it in that way. I think there are a lot of great channels that do reviews and stuff, but I've not seen very many that do the sort of facts based stuff that you do. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I mean by that. That's what I was trying to say. It just sounded like I was saying I was better than everyone else, which is not true. I think there's a great communities of like review channels and that like that, and I think that's something Doctor Who does really well. But I thought all this like research stuff, which you know now now we have like that Terry Nation army. Um, which is great, which I think that's a great YouTube channel as well. And I think there's going to be more. I haven't heard of that, actually. Oh, you've got to look into it. It's really good. And um, But yeah, there's there's a lot more channels popping up now kind of doing these informational videos. And I think, yeah, it's – I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) I got distracted. (laughs) We were talking about like sort of what inspired you to make it, but I guess like that is what inspired you to do it in a way that – Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you you saw a niche and you dived in. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I love doing niche things, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you clearly put a lot of work into it. I mean, I was watching one because actually, when you when you're about to interview somebody, you sort of start seeing them as a as a human a bit more than when you're just watching their content. I know that sounds really weird, mm-hmm. but when I was watching your videos earlier in the week, and I was thinking, oh, I'm going to talk to this guy from, for the podcast next week, and and I started thinking about you sitting in your home making the videos. And I started thinking, oh my god, like this, the the way these are formatted is so, like it's, that's so much work. <laughs> Must take it <laughs> ages. Um, but how how long does it take you to like say an episode of the of the missing episode series? How long would that take you from sort of from sort of writing start of the research until getting the finished product? How long would that take? Well, I I spent like two weeks writing the whole thing because right, I, okay. I wanted to make sure it all flew flowed flowed together and stuff. But um, so I made the first three episodes on the broadcast date, not not on the same day. So I made three ones before episode one came out, and then every single week I would make a new one. So I was finishing an entire episode in one week. That's a really smart thing to do uh, with the th- with the three. Um, yes. Yeah. So if, if yeah. Yes. Yeah, so if I was busy one week and I was completely swamped with work, it'd be okay because I'd have a safety blanket. It got a bit tough near the end. Yeah. <laughs> I skipped too many weeks, but it all came out on the same, the right day. So that's all that mattered. Yeah. I always do stuff like that. I always like, oh, I'm going to record two podcasts this week, and then I won't have to record any more podcasts for a month. <laughs> and it's like, but that's not really making my life any easier. Because then no. I'll just have to record one at the last minute, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so bad at that. Uh, like <laughs> I, I didn't stack when I first started making this in 2017. I didn't stack up any episodes. I just made one, and then the and then I edited it immediately after I'd called the guy, and then the following day I put it out. <laughs> I was just so excited <laughs> to get the content out in the world, but then I realized, oh, shit, now I've got to make. I've talked about this in the podcast a lot, so I might cut this, but. I was actually moving house the day that I recorded the first podcast. So I was in my room with nothing in it except my computer and my mixing desk. Uh, And then I I realized, oh, no, I'm moving into like a a sort of like a sort of um, intermediate house in the in the meantime while I move house and they're not going to have any Internet. And I've got to make another podcast somehow this week. Uh, (laughs) So that was it. That was a challenge. But, um, yeah, we we creators like to make things difficult for ourselves sometimes, I think. Oh, definitely. Nothing motivates and terrifies us more than a deadline. <laughs> no, exactly. Like I hate it when people are like, "Oh, you've got till like next year or whatever." Like, no, like I want, I want till tomorrow. Like I, I, yeah. I could do anything under pressure. Like honestly, um, I think it's so much of a, a more productive way of working. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about how you got into Doctor Who then originally. Um, how does uh, somebody your age um, get into Doctor Who in Australia? Uh, what your the... age you make me sound so old no <laughs> no no no, no. I, I mean as opposed to somebody older um how does that yeah happen? um yeah. well like i started watching torchwood first um which was weird and my mum suggested i love this I... I love this i love this because i love getting um <laughs> freaky freaky entries into dot two <laughs> yeah so 
even weirder, my mum suggested I watch the program. Um, I don't know why. Weirdest thing ever. I think she was trying to out me because I'm gay. So um, it was her sort right. of way of being like, hey, um, look at this That's queer really show. That's really sweet. So, was that, that was kind of her way of being like, this is okay. Yeah, it's really sweet, actually. It's super sweet. <laughs> but um, like as a moody teenager, I was like, no, mom. But I did watch it. <laughs> and, you know... <laughs> Yeah, so, and then my friends at school was like, oh, that's a Doctor Who spinoff. And mm-hmm. I was like, I've never seen that show, isn't that for nerds and that. And then um, I, I watched um, the Cyberman two-parter from season two, uh, Rise of the Cybermen. Jeez, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I, I hated it. And I thought, this is terrible. Why does people watch Doctor Who? And then I started watching everything and I really got into it. And then... Um, so when you, when you saw that, yeah. that um, Rise of the Cybermen story what made you because obviously you thought it was dreadful but what made you go and watch more like that's, that's, really, that's 90 minutes of television like why didn't you just give up um I, I i was watching it with a friend at the time so i wasn't just by myself right okay um, Makes sense. i think because all my friends watched at the time i felt like maybe i should give it another try so i watched a different episode that they recommended and um i liked it i don't remember what it was hmm so what kind yeah. of what kind of time is this? Is this sort of at the time of series two, or is it later? Or uh, two thousand and nine, because um, it was just before David Tennant left. Oh right, okay, okay, and then you could kind of watch the Matt Smith era live, I suppose. Yeah, that was the first season I saw live. Great, um, and I loved it. And then I got obsessed with everything and watched all the classics. And then here we are today. <laughs> So did you go back and think, right, I'm going to watch all the classics from the start, or did you take a sort of uh, lucky mix approach, or what did you do? No, nah, yeah, I, I just went bits and pieces. I remember the first one I watched was The Five Doctors, and then after oh. that I just went all around. Great. That's quite nice. I think if you've seen New Who, that's a really good route in, because it's kind of like, oh, here are, here are quite a few of the Doctors in a, in a little nutshell. That's actually the first Doctor Who story, Barn, that I watched. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Which which is a weird entry if you've never seen Doctor Who, but um, <laughs> I think if you've seen New Who, it's quite nice because you know about regeneration already. You know kind of how it yeah. works. So um, that must have been quite a fun one to start off with. Although weird because it's not the it's not the first actual first Doctor. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird because like I loved it, and I because because like you said, it's like a taster of every single Doctor, and you kind of got an idea of what you liked. Yeah, and then you went back, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to know kind of what you probably don't remember, but which, which doctor, like you, you found yourself most endeared to from the 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 five that we get in the five doctors, or four really that we get in the five doctors. Yeah, a three and a half. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, um, definitely Peter Davison. I think because he, I think he reminded me of David Tennant at the time. Whereas nowadays, yes. I wouldn't really compare the two as much, but back then, I did. Yeah, I think there are similarities in in a, in a sense. I mean, you, yeah. David Tennant certainly inspired a lot by Peter Davison in, mm. uh, in his portrayal. Um, but yeah, I see what you mean. As you watch them all, you think, oh, it, kind of the things that are similar are superficial. And actually at the heart of yeah. the performance is very different. Um, but yeah, were there any Doctors you were just turned off to immediately <laughs> watching the five Doctors? <laughs> Oh, Richard Herndall. Sorry, mate. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I don't I don't remember disliking any of them, actually. Yeah. yeah. I used to hate the first Doctor as a child. I used to say, he's the worst Doctor. He's just nasty. <laughs> he's just me. It's only actually, like, yeah. uh, as an adult that, like, as quite an old adult as well. Like, I remember being, like, 21 and still hating the first Doctor. Still being like, he's just nasty. And then he's not the Doctor. And then kind of <laughs> I've, I've grown to I've grown to love him. Um I think because the yeah. first Doctor is so different and the more you watch his portrayal, the more you see him more as like a grandfather figure and you exactly. think that he's he's being cruel to be kind mm-hmm. and in the end mm-hmm. of the day, he does really care about everyone and he's he's so silly and he laughs all the time. And I think, I think this grumpy Doctor stereotype for the first Doctor is a bit overwritten and I don't think he's as grumpy. It, I think it's based on the, the fact his very early portrayal of the role like it's yes. based on that those first two or three stories which are often the ones people have seen 
you know, an unearthly yeah. child of Daleks and Edge of Destruction. Although you do get really nice moments of tenderness at the end of Edge of, Edge of Destruction. But it was watching The Rescue for me that, that really changed my opinion of The First Doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's now my yeah. fa- that's now my favourite First Doctor story, I think. Um, I do love The Rescue. Yeah. It's great. He's just so kind in that story. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I love how patient he is with Vicky. And I think that yeah. type of stuff is great. Yeah, like yeah. he's like he's super patient, and it makes you aware that like his um, his behavior early on was a choice, and he was just being petulant, and like yes, that's kind of the real doctor in a way that we that we get to see mm. later on. Yeah, um, cool. Should we move on to unpopular opinions, Josh? Always, yes. <laughs> Great. So I'm going to let you phrase it because I'm not sure how you wanted to phrase this first one. Um, so yeah, I guess go ahead. Yeah. So. Uh, like as a like a fan content creator and that like I see a lot of like fan films and stuff online, and I I don't think I've really seen a Doctor Who fan film done well, and I think that's because a lot of people think because the classic series had like low production values that they think they can get away with making terrible production values as a fan film, and you know I've made a lot of like fan films in the past, so when I'm calling these out, I'm not saying that. I'm putting myself in this bubble. You know, I've made terrible things as well. And I thought because it's a classic series, but you know, I can get away with it. But I think a lot of fan filmmakers out there are fans first and filmmakers second, where I think it should be the other way around. No, I I definitely agree. I think like, even with something like this podcast, like I would say that I'm, I've certainly become a podcast maker first and a Doctor Who fan second. Like I, yeah. I care most about the conversation being interesting to listen to. Um, like at first making it, I used to worry, oh, I, that little bit is not about Doctor Who. So I used to just cut anything that wasn't about Doctor Who. And now I feel yeah. like that's actually counterintuitive and it's all about the conversation. And I guess the same is true of a, of a fan film, right? It, it's not, it doesn't have to be like... Um, massaging your doctor who muscles all the time it it it, it, yeah. can, it needs to be a good film first and foremost right yeah definitely like, you know nowadays we're there's so many like 4k cameras and all these things that are available to us but if you don't know how to use them or how the basic film language it's hard to make a consistent plot yeah 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 like, I, I, i've seen yeah, there you go. No, no, I was just going to say, like, just the thing I've noticed is that people don't really seem to have a, a great script down, and they're like, they're like working and everything in After Effects badly, and then they need to, yeah. they need to actually just have the great story, and maybe actually we'd forgive the uh, lack of production values a little bit more if the script was better. I don't know. Yeah. No, definitely, I agree. Like, I've seen a few fan films out there that have really great props and really great set design, but then their scripts are a mess or the acting is a bit questionable or they're just breaking basic film rules. Yeah. Like, there's something called the the 180 degree rule, uh which basically means when you just want to make sure that everyone's eye lines are correct. So if someone's looking to the right of the frame Mm -hmm. and the other person's looking to the left of the frame, you know, that was a poor explanation of what it is, but it's just when you, you'll notice it when it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. if someone points to the sky and it cuts to it and it's in the opposite direction yeah. and you're like, what, what's going on there? Like, it's just basic little rules. It's something you notice a lot in, in proper films. You only ever really get it with CGI characters and stuff. Um, yeah. CGI characters can some, or characters that have been composited in can sometimes be looking like slightly above the line of sight they're supposed to be looking at. Yeah. Or actually, there's a moment where it happens in uh, Logopolis where yes, the doctor falls that's off the... That's a really the, good example. <laughs> off the t- uh, telephone mast or whatever, the telescope, and uh, Tegan is, is pointing at him and uh, she's just pointing in completely the wrong place. Um, <laughs> and, and you can tell, even though they're not in the same shot, because like... Some, but you would think, oh, no, it wouldn't, doesn't matter because it's cutting away. But it, it really matters. Like, you, you can just yeah. so tell. Um, and it can throw you out of the story. Yeah, totally, know, totally. Like, in the new, like, season 18 box set, they rep- they what they did to cut, cover that was they cut the, sh- the shot a bit shorter. And right, they right. put in a new shot of Tom Baker falling. And it worked. Yeah. And you didn't even notice it then. Yeah. And, it, and that's that was... not a production values thing. Like, that's something they could have done in 1981 but they like, yes they, they they didn't do it because i, I guess because of the time but like it wasn't that they yeah. didn't have the money or the equipment to do that like that was possible and i think that's true yeah. with so many fan films things it's like 
no, this isn't because you haven't got the, the the team to make an amazing CGI monster. It's actually just, like you say, like filmmaking stuff that you could do just with a little bit more, more care and, and patience. A lot of people do do it, but um, yeah. Yeah, like... Um Let's let's like for example, in the classic series, they had very small budgets, but everyone working on it were industry leaders. Well, not industry leaders, but you know, they're people who had been working for the BBC who know what they're doing. These are real directors, real actors, real costume makers, real designers. And when you put into a fan film, you're kind of giving these to roles to people who don't know what they're doing. So you can't expect the same quality, but it's more aim for something that you can achieve. Definitely. Maybe don't set your thing on Gallifrey when you can't do a proper color grade. You know, like so, little things. So many fan films are set like in the final days of Gallifrey or like during the Time <laughs> War, and uh, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily wise. No, and look, like like I said, when I made fan films in the past, I I broke these rules. Like when I'm saying these things, these are things that I did. But like I'm saying, this is something that I've learned from this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you know, I did my fan films because I was learning how to be a filmmaker. I didn't make them because I was a fan first. I was doing it because I wanted to be a filmmaker, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it made sense to me to do Doctor Who because it was something that I knew, and I could develop my skills in it. And when I went to uni, I was. I knew kind of had a little bit of a grasp on how film worked, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Something else you touched on just a minute ago that, uh, that really uh, stuck out to me was the acting. Something I noticed mm. in, in fan films a lot. And again, I'm not being mean here, but some of the acting, you can tell that these people aren't actors and that they're like yeah. uh, people who are, are maybe actually budding filmmakers like you were, you know, that a lot of the time that people yeah. who make fan films are budding filmmakers. But um, yeah, just because you, you're a great camera operator or you're a great video editor or you're a great director does not mean you're a good actor. And I think a lot of the time they, yes. they think of acting as just as just like people to point a camera at. And actually, that's that's not that's not acting at all. And you can really <laughs> tell the difference between, uh, yeah, somebody who's an actor and, and somebody who isn't. Um, and yeah, I think it's the, the desire to have everybody who's involved in your production be a Doctor Who fan. Whereas if you just yes. called out to somebody, if you just put a message in like a local filmmaking group uh, and was like, oh, I, I like need some volunteer actors, like loads of people would probably come to you. Um, That's a really good Doctor example because, because um, my friend in Perth, he's a filmmaker, um, Aaron Vanderclay, and he has been doing these Star Trek fan films. Right, And right. he's a filmmaker first, a fan second. Um, he also did some Doctor Who stuff back in the day as well. But, um, like, he's gotten real actors, real filmmakers, and when you watch it, it's a professional production. Obviously, it's low budget, but it's a professional production. It feels like something that could be seen at a film festival. Sure. I mean, and he's he's won awards for his stuff, you know? And it's just that little bit of effort can pay off. Yeah, I mean, it's just the little things like that. And, again, like something that you don't necessarily need production value for i mean when you get to a certain level obviously you've got to start paying actors um but yeah. like you know if you if you just put two actors in a room and point a camera at them you can make something really good whereas like yeah you know you you could be, you can throw a lot of money at, at, at special effects and stuff and and it, it could be bad <laughs> i don't know that was yeah. a really bad way of putting it but like yeah so so what i, I guess like what advice, having made loads of fan films and, and learned from your experience, what advice would you... Let's do, like, Josh's top five tips for... Uh, <laughs> if I, I've never made a fan film, for example. So if you wanted to give me five tips for me to make a fan film that's not dreadful, um, what would you what would you say? Hmm. I can give you a little bit of time to think, and I'll edit the silences out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll try and come up with some. So one of my main ones... I'm going to go through like things that I made mistakes with. Cool. And like, so I think that's probably a good idea. So I was doing Matt Smith in per I was doing an impersonation of Matt Smith. Mm -hmm. And then halfway through making the series, I decided to make my own doctor. Don't do that. Be consistent. Yeah. 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 Um, I would recommend not even having the doctor in a fan film. I think as soon as you do that, it becomes an ego product especially if you're the filmmaker and you're playing the doctor, it's usually a mess. Cause you were saying earlier as well, like, um, cause you're a good camera operator or editor or a script writer or something. You may not be a good actor. 
So find your strength. Oh, and the doctor's stick. such a demanding role as well. Like it's a role that requires yeah. like so much breath as an as an actor. Like you, you, it takes not only just an actor but a really good one to play the doctor well. So uh, gotcha. yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like keep the doctor out of it. And like there's so many. I mean, there's so many good Doctor Who spinoffs. Like there's so many options uh, that you've got. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think story-wise. Since you're making it, this might be a bit of a controversial one, but because it's a fan film, make it fan wank. That's what Big Finish's banks banks on. You know, it's it's what they do best. People want to see Daleks. People want to see Sidemen. People want to get references to dumb things, but make sure you can do it. Mm-hmm. If you know somebody who has a Dalek, ask them if you can borrow the Dalek or if they're happy to come down and film some stuff with you. You know, just chuck stuff in there. If you can pull it off, do it. Sure. Sure, and even references are great. Like, like you say, it's stuff that the TV yeah. show, TV show, uh, can't do and shouldn't do. Um, but like mm. that is what, and actually, stuff that maybe Big Finish should do a little less often. But um, yes, but like I totally agree. <laughs> but like, just a fan making stuff for YouTube, that's the place for this kind of thing. Like, if there's anywhere for it, exactly. that, that's where it is. It's, it's fan fiction and fan films. So yeah, like go for it. Even if it, even if you don't have like props to do it with, like. Make a sequel to like make a sequel to like the Space Pirates and like yeah do you know what I mean include some of the characters from that like something would never ever happen on screen and something that actually doesn't require um a load of production value or whatever yeah and it's stuff people love you know like yeah. it's like we said like Big Finish they 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 milk it <laughs> I'm a bit critical of Big Finish's use of over fan stuff but you know it sells and you know if they need to do that in order to make money then good on them you know yeah, I think people some one thing I mean you can we can criticize Big Finish but one thing uh people kind of forget sometimes I think is that they are a they are a business and like yes that probably if they stick River Song and Captain Jack on the same cover People are way more likely to buy it than if they if it's like some subtle thing, you know. Um, Definitely. That's with with new characters, uh, unfortunately. Which which is sad, um, but you know, we I love Big Finish most of the time, <laughs> and you know, like if that means I get to have a really great story every now and then, and then I, there's also all this random trash. If that's if that's the price to pay, then I'll I'll pay it. I'm happy with that. You know, I'll I'll listen to River Song talk to like Marvik Chen or something ridiculous. Like I'll buy it. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's it's like anything though. It's like I mean, Disney have to do that. <laughs> yes. Like Disney oh, makes like movie after like Disney making the Lion King so that they can make Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever. You know. Yeah, because they make big money off those remakes. So mm-hmm. I think those live-action remakes suck, but they make so much money, so I'm wrong, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I actually am ashamed to say that I contributed to the success of The Lion King. I went with my sister, who's 10 years old. Um, so that's my right, excuse. I'm blaming you. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it was so weird, like they're, they're, like the animals talking. I don't know. It was very odd. <laughs> um, we did two tips. Tip number three. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, uh, get people who are interested in film. Try and make some projects that aren't Doctor Who related. Um, watch as many online tutorials as possible. The internet is a great thing. Like, a lot of people are very snobbish, and they're like, oh, you have to go to university and that. It's like, I went to uni, but you don't have to. A lot of the things I learned, I learned in the field. I learned from working. I learned from trying new things and making terrible, terrible films. You know, and eventually you'll get to a point where things are doing well and people will pay you to make things. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, about tip number four. Um, we don't have to do five. If you feel like that's enough tips, we can stop at three tips. I'm sure there's more tips. <laughs> uh, try and do stuff that is marketable. You know, like... it. Like, let's look, for example, like this Mission to the Unknown remake. That's huge. That's massive stuff. Obviously, that's on a bigger scale. Yeah, and I don't but, think they can release know, it, can they? They probably can't release that. Uh, just hold the line on that one. Something will come out, I'm pretty sure. Okay, I hope so. I hope so. The pictures from it looked amazing. Yeah, it does look really stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's hugely marketable. Like, that's something everybody wants to see. Um, yeah. I suppose. Um, yeah. I shouldn't be talking about Aaron again, but I'm going to. Uh, he did an adaptation of a companion chronicle, and he got permission from Big Finish to do so. Oh, um, cool. So I think, 
it had like a limited release and that, and it was really good. And yeah. I thought, you know, that type of thing is a good way of doing it. It's like, what if a big finish was a video thing and like stuff like that, like little something that you find interesting. Yeah. And that, that touches on something for me of like, of like, don't like, don't be afraid of like getting in touch with somebody who you think is a bit out of your league and asking them yeah. for a favor. Like they can only say no. Like, don't be afraid exactly. of like getting in touch with a writer and saying, Oh, can I use this or can I, uh, can I do that? Yeah. Or, uh, you know, I think again, something I learned doing the podcast, like just if you ask people, they often say yes. Well, that's the thing. Cause I think most people are kind of flattered by it, you know, as creators, like a lot of the time, like we, we're really hard on ourselves, but if someone really says, I loved what you do, can I be involved somehow? That's a huge compliment. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's huge. Even if, even if you're like a big creator, like those things, I think still, uh, I mean, I wouldn't know because I'm not a big creator, but when you're a big creator, I think those things still mean something like, obviously you can't always deal with every single request you get, but uh, yeah, you're probably going to reply to some, I don't know. Yeah, because like I'm, I'm not the best at replying to messages, and that <laughs> I do struggle with it. And I'm not a big creator. Like I couldn't imagine what it would be to be someone that big and getting endless emails and that. I, yeah. I, I struggle to, I struggle to reply. I mean, I had this this conversation, a, a similar conversation with Crystal in my Crystal D episode, uh, where we mm. talked about kind of if you're somebody who gets a lot of responses to their tweets, like the kind of pressure of, or the or what happens to the sort of endorphin hit that you get so if you if you're somebody who gets like a, a moderate amount of replies to tweets you get an endorphin hit every time but once you're once you're like a really big creator or a really big um social media personality and you're getting all of those tweets it can actually start to get quite stressful <laughs> and i imagine it'll be similar with um with emails and stuff as a as a creator um yeah definitely because yeah. like when I went and listened to that podcast, I I really related to Crystal, even though I'm a much much smaller scale than she is, and I really felt like that's something that I really needed to hear. I thought that was really great of her to share her story. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely, because because like most people aren't big creators, so they they can't really relate to how that would feel, and and they're just imagining the the little endorphin hits they get on a greater scale. Yeah, and actually, that's really not how it works at all. Um, yeah. But yeah, what do you think about people who um, what do you think about people who approach the fan film from a parody angle? Oh, do anything. You know, like when it comes to parody, I think the cheaper the better. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> like I, I did a Canine and Company remake of the title sequence right, in right. like the worst tag you'll ever see in your life. And that was a joke. You know, it's just like, have fun with it. I don't think comedy needs production value, but that's my opinion. Other people would have different opinions. Yeah, I think it depends what you're doing. I think sometimes with certain kinds of comedy, like the lack of production value can really add to the humor. Yeah. Do you know what I, I mean? I think if if you know how to edit like stuff, you'll be fine. I, like there's a lot of like comedy stuff out there that's not funny because the pacing is wrong. You still have to have pacing. You still have to follow the rules of comedy. Well, I mean, but it's like, more important with comedy pa- pacing. Like comic timing is yes. hugely important. I'd say it's more important than with drama to have good timing oh, in, in a comedy. Um, but yeah, like you say, that costs nothing. Yeah, yeah. Like you can rock up in a shaken way, and, you know, and just a terrible wig, and you'll be fine. You know, you don't have to do anything. It's as long as you understand how comedy works and yeah. timing and stuff, you'll be fine. I'm thinking now about some of the stuff Five Who fans used to make. Uh, on their channel mm. and like it was so it was i mean it was so low budget like and um like i'm sure they actually put a lot of effort into it and like they would make like yeah. cardboard tardis consoles and stuff like that and it, but it was so funny because the scripts were good and the and the sketches were good um and then the the, the lack of production value just added to it um it was really funny and they used to wear like silly wigs and like silly coats and um that that really works for a show like doctor who yeah, they were great. Like, um, I've seen a lot of their stuff, and it's just so funny. And like, you know, like production value, it just it doesn't matter in comedy. No, no, not but to the same degree, anyway. Yeah, it's it's like in these fan films and that they try and do these big stories about the Doctor and stuff, and you know, like then the Doctor starts crying, and then there's like a cardboard TARDIS, and it's just it's just it's you got to know. Then you start to get un- unintentional humor, right? Yes, yeah. it becomes funny. And it's yeah. You'd ra- I'd rather aim for humor and get humor than aim for seriousness and, and get humor. <laughs> yes, uh, to be honest, uh, I, if it I, were me, I do fall back on that a lot. Yeah. If yeah. I if I think I, if I think I can't pull it off, I'll make it funny. Yeah, because that's the other <laughs> angle is like 
is that sort of cowardly to go for a comic angle because then you then you can just sort of brush everything off as well. It was supposed to be funny and it's supposed to be silly. So if you don't it's like, like it, you, you don't, don't get, get the it. joke. <laughs> like uh, that's I suppose the other the other argument that you could have because um, it's really hard to actually get to get comedy right. And I've I've seen a fair few like Doctor Who comedy things. I'm just watching it and thinking, oh god, this isn't funny. But it but I can tell you yeah. what you're wanting it to be funny, but. Um, yeah. <laughs> um so like one other thing i was thinking about was like these fan audio dramas that are coming out mm. and i i think i think that's a great alternative if you can't really do your production value thing i mean that's what it finished kinda... it i guess in the first place is is like was uh yeah that's why they did audios i suppose in the first place it wasn't just it wasn't an artistic choice and still no. isn't i guess yeah, like, because that's, that's another thing as well. Like, you bring up Big Finish as well. It's like, how do you compete with Big Finish? And, like, I think that's where you have to be really smart. Like, there's a lot of, like, these ones where they try and, like, remake adventures that never happened or, you know, and try and get impersonators and that. It, but it has to be really good. And I think that's In, where... Yeah, like, impersonators can just be distracting sometimes because you... Yes. You can... You're, then you're just listening for how good the impersonation is. And you're not. Yes. And then it, it it almost sounds like a worse impersonation than it is because you're listening so hard um, to try and po- yeah. tr- to try and spot the. It's almost like the, um, you know, the Grand Moff Tarkin reconstruction in yes. Rogue One. So in in the Star Wars movie where they, um, where they recreated Peter Cushing in CGI, and it was almost worse than if they'd just got an actor in because you're you're looking for the things that are wrong with it. Like you're watching every single every single um pixel of it more than you would be yeah. with a with an actor. And I think it's the same with an audio impersonation. You're you're listening. There's always bound to be imp- imperfections. There's ne- there's never like such a thing as an as a perfect impersonation really. So you're always gonna be listening for those little imperfections and then that that can be quite di- distracting. It can work. I think Jake Dibman's very good at it. Um, mm. But he he almost is now going for a thing of of a half impersonation, which is I think often the best choice. Yeah. Well, like with, with Jake Dudman, for example, like it's been a bit rough for him because like now they're just making him do all the new series Doctors, and you know, like his niche. Which one was he better at? Was he better at ten or eleven? He's best at eleven, I think. Yeah, that's what I thought. Sorry, it's been a while since I've listened to it. I actually do think he's really good because I think he does both of those quite well. But now they're trying to make him do Peter Capaldi as well. And that's a lot for one person to get right. Yeah, and there's a big difference. Like his, the, the I mean, the amazing Jake Dubman video everyone remembers is his very first one where he does the Matt Smith regeneration speech. Have you seen this video? Yes. And oh, God, like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. But the difference is that is something that Matt Smith actually said. And we can listen to the yes. recording of Matt Smith actually saying that it's a lot harder to get right when you are um, when you are saying things that Matt Smith has never said. Um, yeah, you know, then it's then it's it's really it's a lot harder, I think. Um, but but yeah, I would I would use unless you're really good like Jake, um, I would re- usually advise against using impersonators. I think just just use somebody else with a who can sort of yeah. sound a bit like them, but take, have their own spin on it. That's the thing, and then we're back to square one with, oh, they're a fan doctor again, and you know, it's it's it feels like is there a yeah. right way of making a fan film or fan audio, or is it always just going to be bad? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, although in a way, like in the series, like you've got David Bradley being the first doctor, and it's not an impersonation, but it's it's an impro- approximation. And I think if more fan films went for that, rather than yeah, rather than the extremes of making a new doctor and also or impersonating an existing doctor i think if they went in the middle and did a sort of approximation that might work better but maybe it would also be terrible i don't know maybe keeping the doctor <laughs> out is the best option um, well the thing is like with david bradley's doctor i've been critical in the past but i kind of realized what he's actually doing he's actually doing like the doctor from the pilot episode because that's the one he did in it you know where he's doing those big pauses and uh each more moved on. Like he's he, he's not doing the later <laughs> Doctor that we all kind of know. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess doesn't make you know, sense like, that much, but at least he's going yeah. to go. And like, I'd, yeah. I'd rather that than someone trying to do a really great Hartnell impression. 
Um, yeah, because it could just be creepy. Because especially near the end, where the season four, like William Hartnell voices, is, is very high pitched and it's very, uh, it becomes more or more like a caricature caricature of yeah. his performance. But I think Bill does a great job. I'm not discrediting his performance near the end, but trying to get that voice right. Oh, uh, it would seem luck. odd. It would seem odd, like. Yeah, that, yeah. that sort of <laughs> that would sound, that sound yeah. a bit uh, <laughs> Wicked Witch of the West, I think, if you got it wrong. Yeah, bit Yoda. Yeah. Yes, a little bit Yoda, <laughs> that's true. But yeah, I think Bradley does a great job. And actually, uh, a Herndall, as much as he's as much as he's not really nailing mm. the mannerisms of Hartnell at all, that's almost a good thing, isn't it? Because he's sort of you yeah. believe you believe that character on screen because he's just he's just behaving in a vaguely first Doctor way, but not really. <laughs> He's half in the costume. He's wearing gloves now. <laughs> Who cares? I, I think, I think David like like Herndall being included was more like it felt like oh this is just like to say oh the first Doctor was around. It's in memory of him. It's not trying to say he's trying to be William Hartnell. William Hartnell's here. It's more just to honor his legacy. Definitely. If anything, do you know what I mean? Definitely, definitely. Would you be open for um, other actors playing other Doctors on screen in the future, like Bradley and Herndall did with the first Doctor? Or are you against that? That's a good question. Uh, as long as I don't get the guy from um, Venture Face and Time who did the second Doctor, I'll probably be a lot happier. Oh, uh, Reece Shearsmith. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, I mean, shocking. they just got him in because he's because he's Mark Cates' busy mate. Like that's just. Yeah. Look. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he and doesn't that look wig, anything like oh Patrick Troughton. Doesn't sound anything like Patrick Troughton. Like no. it's it a mess. Absolute mess. Uh, <laughs> I'm not against it. Like a lot of people have said like Sean Pertwee playing the third doctor that's been floating around for years. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Would you like to see it? I think if they did it right, I don't know. I like twice upon a time. I like the way they did it in that. I mean, I know a lot of people hate twice upon a time, um, particularly the, the role of the first doctor in it, but I really like it. Um, I think it would have, yeah, it would have to be the right sort of story. Um Yeah to work and I, I think there are certain doctors that are out of bounds like i think you can probably recreate the, the second doctor and the third doctor but like yeah i don't think you could i don't think anyone can do tom baker oh no like that's you know, impossible. whatever happens to him in the future god forbid i don't i don't think anybody can can recreate tom baker because i think in a way he tom baker wasn't really acting when he was being the doctor anyway <laughs> he was just sort of <laughs> walking around being tom baker so if you try and impersonate yeah. that that's almost i don't know i, I would find that more disconcerting or um offensive (laughs) well yeah well like uh, that actually reminded me there's like an animation called lost in the dark dimension based off that 90s doctor who spin-off that never happened yeah and there's a tom baker in it and it's so jarring because it's not tom yeah because like yeah the voice was very similar but like it's not tom because tom did his own thing because he's a madman it's almost impossible to impersonate tom as well because he was so unpredictable like he, he just yes, did everything exactly. you wouldn't expect. I mean, actually, what's his face? John Culshaw does a decent job. He's done a few of the yes. big finishes, hasn't he? Hasn't he? But I haven't heard any yeah. of them. Uh, what they like? Have you heard them? Uh, I've heard his brigadier, and that's like dead on. Right, right, like right. Some, and you know how we said, like, you know, sometimes you think, oh, that's an impersonation. I only did that for the first two scenes, and after that, I didn't even blink. I didn't even think because it was just that authentic. Wow. But that's so hard. That's, that's that saying is a really lot. hard, isn't it? Yeah. Really difficult. Do you find it distracting ever on Big Finish when um when the you can tell like I've listened to a couple of Tom Baker Big Finishes with Tom Baker and you can mm. you can tell in the voice that it's old Tom Baker. Does that bother you? You know, it actually doesn't because I kind of prefer it because it's just oh it's just Tom Baker reading lines. It feels so silly and I, I it feels like you're just sitting down and he's just reading you something. It's like just so reading. weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. He doesn't sound anything anything like he used to. No, he does sound quite different now, doesn't he? He's got a, a, a deep, he's got more of a gravel in his voice, I think, than he yeah. used to have. Well, I guess you could say the same about Peter Davison as well. He sounds quite different nowadays as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's okay. But I don't know. It? That's okay. Um, yeah. Sure. Uh, do you want to sort of talk about any of the projects you've got coming up in the future or anything? Um, Should we touch on that? Yeah, so I've got something coming up that I can't talk about. <laughs> um, so well, I might great. just leave that one. Yeah, a bit of a mystery. Okay. Um, it'll be... When will this come out? This is going to come right. out probably this coming Monday. So it probably won't be announced by then, I don't suppose. 
yeah, it won't be out by then. That's cool. Um, what else am I working on? Uh, I might be working on a fan film. <laughs> cool, cool. You know, I've just, just so, bagged on them for uh, so long. I'm uh, going to listen to all your tips back, your top four tips. We never got to five. I'm going to listen to all four, and I'm going to think, has he followed his own tips? Uh, and if I'll give you, you a little hint. I'm going to give you a thumbs down. I have followed down. my tips. <laughs> you, you, ha- you haven't followed your tips. No, I have. I you have. have. I have okay, well, them. we'll have to see whether I decree that you have. Um, I <laughs> I want you to finish your five tips so that I've got something else to hold you to when you release this fan film, Josh. Yeah, I need a fifth tip, don't do I? It, do okay. it. You can't have four tips. Um, you can't have Josh's four. You can have Josh's three tips and Josh's five. You can't do four tips. That's weird. <laughs> All right. So um, it has to reference the Daleks' master plan because I want it to. Um, these are just <laughs> bad tips. I'm, I'm just running out of good ones. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, uh, someone has to do a dab. That's the last <laughs> one for it. They are my that's, tips for you. That's a sixth um, tip now. Now we've got to do ten. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> All right, take off that last one. No dabbing allowed. Great, great. So that's a, that's a, like an anti-tip. Don't dab. Yeah. Um, it's a warning. There are some clips of the first Doctor dabbing in your videos, aren't there? There is. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> How did you do that? Did you make that? Did it was that all? Is that all like computer manipulation? Yeah, it's all Photoshop. Yeah. Um, I think I took like three different images and put it all together. <laughs> good job, good job. R.I.P. William Hartnell. <laughs> yeah, so, and, you know, just honouring his legacy. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah, how he would have exactly. wanted to be remembered. <laughs> sure. In fact, speaking of honouring legacy, I think it's important to talk for a minute about Terence Dix, actually, because um, yes. Terence passed away two days ago now. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I felt it was. I was really shocked. I mean, obviously he's really old. So it was not the most shocking thing in the world, but um, mm. like, yeah, he's one of those people you thought was just going to be in Doctor Who land forever. I suppose. Yeah, like, yeah, he's Uncle Terry. You know, you don't think about him ever going. You yeah. know, I, I met him once, and that was amazing. And it's just you, you're hearing so many lovely stories about him now, and I think that's one of the nice. So the only nice thing when someone passes away is that you get to hear all these great stories about how amazing they were. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. and... It's just a shame we don't do that more often while people are alive, isn't it? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> I think we focus too much on the negatives until someone passes away and it's awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But yeah, I mean, his contribution to, to Doctor Who is like unparalleled, really. Um, I mean... Yeah. Yeah. He wrote Five Doctors, your introduction to the classic series and my introduction to Doctor yeah. Who as a whole. Um, managed to pull that off somehow. Um, yeah, it's it's an, yeah. it's an impossible task. Yeah. The Five Doctors it should not work, but it does. It's the day of the Doctor in it, of its is. day in a way, isn't it? I, I yeah. Those stories sure. are similar in that they, they seem like impossible tasks, but it's writers like Dix and Moffat that managed to uh, pull that sort of thing off. Um and he's so efficient. Yeah. He's just such an efficient writer. Like, he's just so no-nonsense, Terrence Dix. Yeah. Um, like, I there's no other word but genius. Yeah, for, yeah. For, well, we talk about, like, Dix and Moffat there, you know, like, to pull off a story like that, how? I, like, I couldn't even think about how to get that many doctors on set, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. many egos. And, and, and that many problems script. as well, you know. You've got so yes. many, like, actors pulling out. You've got production value problems to deal with. Like, yeah, it was almost a bigger task in 1983 than it would have been in 2013 because you're, you're dealing with so many hurdles at the last minute and, you, and you've got less money and people are less behind it. And, uh, yeah, absolutely amazing. And that's just one of his contributions to the show. That's without even touching on yeah. uh, everything else that he did. Um, so, yeah, I so think much. everybody will miss him, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh, thank you so much for talking to me, uh, Josh. Oh, thank you uh, for having me. Where can people find you on uh, Twitter and YouTube and other uh, social media places? <laughs> yeah, my Twitter is Josh underscore snares. Cool. On YouTube, just search Josh snares. Mm-hmm. And Facebook, I have a Josh snares um, fan page. So, how, how many likes do you my... have? How many likes do you have on there? Uh, not many. My Facebook page is pretty quiet. I don't. Really Facebook do pages are dead, aren't they? There's. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Like like the Facebook page though, guys. <laughs> yeah, like give us some support. You know, it's sad <laughs> over there. <laughs> cool. Uh, and you can follow us as usual um, at Galatiopod on Twitter, and you can email me at Galatiopod at gmail.com 
Uh, I really like receiving emails, um, whatever they're about. Uh, so please do send me one. Uh, at the moment, I'm unemployed, so I'll have all the time in the world to reply. Uh, so yeah, uh, until next time, it's a bye from me. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I did a bye from you. <laughs>